What is GDPR? And more importantly, how does it impact you and your company? Join internationally known data privacy, data protection expert, Jonathan Armstrong and Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist to learn more about the burgeoning world of data privacy and data protection. After listening to this episode, you'll walk away with a greater understanding of what this means for you and your organization. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Over the next three podcasts, Jonathan Armstrong and I will be looking at some post-Brexit issues, including data protection, data privacy and data transfer, and sanctions, AML, and export control. In this episode, we take up data protection after Brexit. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with uh, Jonathan Armstrong, Quarterly Compliance from London. Welcome to season 2021 of Life with GDPR. Over this uh, next series of podcasts, we're going to take a look at some issues related to uh, Brexit. Uh, seems like some minor, I'm not what structural change in uh, uh, the world order occurred, and um, it's actually going to affect many of us in the compliance industries, particularly around. Uh, uh, data. So, Jonathan, first of all, uh, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me back. So, on this podcast, Jonathan, I wanted to maybe uh, uh, pose some questions to you about data protection after Brexit and start with the basics, uh, not uh, how do you spell GDPR, but Mm -hmm. does GDPR still exist in the United Kingdom? Yeah, it does indeed. So, what happened is that on May 25th, 2018, when the UK brought in Brexit, it also uh, brought in GDPR. It also brought in uh, UK domestic legislation, the Data Protection Act 2018, which uh, introduced some uh, criminal penalties into UK law. Um, and we've talked about these before. So, for example, failure to return data when the data controller asks back uh, ask for it back, destroying data which could be relevant to a subject access request, and the one that a lot of people forget, uh, re-identifying anonymized data, very easy to commit that offense in internal investigations, for example. So as well as sprucing up UK domestic law, there was what you might call a Brexit plan B in the back of that legislation, which said, If the UK ceases to become part of the EU and there isn't a better plan by that date, then uh, the bulk of GDPR becomes UK domestic law. So effectively, that's the situation that we're in. It's It's a trimmed down version of GDPR because some of the things like the European Supervisory Authority regime doesn't exist now in UK law. But the material provisions, the things that most uh, compliance officers will be concerned about, you know, the principles, data breach reporting, data subject rights, all of that stuff is still identical to what we now call EU GDPR. Jonathan, I'm aware that you have been practicing law for some period of time, uh, even in the area of data privacy and data protection. Uh, did you lose that wealth of knowledge from your prior life in terms of uh, pre-exit, uh, pre-Brexit case law, or is that still relevant to your current practice today? Yeah, it's still relevant. I, I had the uh, Why I'm sort of moderately laughing is I had the experience yesterday 
of uh, somebody effectively citing back to me a case I'd been involved with in 1990, uh, which I think he thought he was on safe ground, that he thought he was the expert in it because nobody that old could still be practicing. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, it was one of those, uh, those, those, I don't know, slightly egotistical moments when it's in the client's interests that you tell him, well, actually, I happen to know a bit about that case because I was the, the lawyer in it. Um, so, uh, but the good news is you don't abandon all that knowledge. Now, of course, the UK is slightly different from some countries in the EU because we had data protection law that existed prior to the directive, which was the precursor to GDPR. So we've had data protection law since 84, and all of the UK case law still applies, and EU case law applies, uh, subject to certain exceptions, as at the date that the UK left. So all of those cases on, you know, whether a company is a processor for its Facebook site, it is you know, whether uh, the Schrems litigation, et cetera, et cetera, all of that stuff uh, is still good precedent in UK law. Uh, there was a temporary data protection deal between the United Kingdom and uh, the Euro European Union. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that deal was done uh, very much at the last minute. I think we predicted it on one of our podcasts that it would end up a bit like a corporate deal where people sign the deal at 3 a.m. and then wake up and wonder what they've actually signed. I think that's how it ended up, that the UK uh, signed a temporary deal, which for these purposes lasts until the end of April. It can be extended by two months if there's a realistic prospect of the UK getting what's called an adequacy decision. And effectively, what the temporary deal does is it sort of preserves in time the situation as at 31st December 2020. So, the uh, it, it is, uh, according to the deal at least, safe to transfer data between the EU and the UK and vice versa. The real caveat on that is that the deal can be terminated if the UK makes substantial changes to UK domestic law. So if, for example, some politician uh, had a court case against her and she decided that she was going to try and turn over all the stones to revoke a provision of GDPR because it didn't suit her, then the deal would uh, effectively collapse. So, uh, so probably it will last until the end of April, and then both the UK and the EU will look for a more permanent solution during that period. Extraterritoriality has been on the mind of uh, many U.S. compliance practitioners uh, regarding some decisions out of uh, the United Kingdom. But I wanted to focus on, Will, uh, how will that work and the reach for the EU and the United Kingdom in data protection? Yeah, so effectively, both um, the EU and the UK mirror the extraterritoriality uh, provisions that are in GDPR. So from a, 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 
a an EU point of view, US corporations, UK corporations, any anybody outside of the EU can be subject to GDPR if they're targeting people within the EU, for example. And the same applies from a UK point of view. So the UK legislation could have extraterritorial reach to the US, to the EU. Uh, again, if those uh, extraterritoriality provisions of uh, GDPR are met. So the intention is that both the UK and the EU will have uh, jurisdiction subject to those uh, targeting rules that, that that we've got in in GDPR as it stands. In this new realm, will a company need a data protection representative? I think it will, and it might need two. So if you're caught by, if you're a UK uh, organization and you're caught by the uh, EU uh, extraterritoriality provisions, then you'll need a DPR in the EU. And similarly, if you're an EU operation, for example, doing business in the UK and you're caught by UK GDPR extraterritorial provisions, then you'll need a DPR in the UK as well. And if you're a US corporation and you come within the DPR requirements, you'll probably now need a DPR in the UK and a DPR in the EU. Will you need a new data protection officer? Probably not. Probably you can have the same uh, DPO who's competent that could, at least theoretically at the moment, cover the UK and the EU operations. As a general rule, and some domestic laws are different and some guidance from regulators suggests differently, but as a general rule, you should still be okay to have one DPO provided that she meets all the other requirements of you know, access to the board, uh, knowledge, etc. Of course, the challenge for DPOs in part is that knowledge piece. Uh, some people forget that a DPO is obliged to keep herself up to date with data protection legislation. That's already a difficult task. You know, we do, uh, we have a, a monthly call for data protection officers to go through that month's developments. We're probably up to about 15 significant cases a month. So it's, it's, a, it's a significant commitment if you don't have that um, that resource. And obviously, that's got more difficult as well, because as UK and EU legislation and case law diverges a little bit, which is probably the case post-April, then you're going to have different regimes to keep up to date with. One of the more interesting aspects of GDPR, at least from my perspective, was the one-stop shop. Uh, Is that still in place? And if so, how will it work going forward? I think the one-stop shop was under strain pre-Brexit, and I was I was never convinced that the principle would hold up in practice. And the reason for that, of course, is that if I'm a uh, Spanish regulator and I'm anxious to appease people in Spain, and there's been some uh, egregious data breach in Spain, it's not that satisfying to say. Don't worry, uh, uh, comrades in Spain. The 
Romanian data protection registrar is on the case. Um, Different countries operate at different speeds. Different regulators have different uh, resources, et cetera, et cetera. So there's already been a tension across the EU. And obviously, the highest fine uh, against uh, Google, uh, 50 million euros, some would say, uh, is an example of the one-stop shop principle not working. There are obviously a lot of complexities to that case, which we won't go into now. And then there's also been a real tension, particularly over the perceived inactivity in Ireland. And we know that there was meant to be an announcement on a an Irish investigation just last week, and that's been postponed. And there are real tensions there are real tensions within the EU, let alone Brexit. And Brexit obviously adds a complication. And in practical terms, what it means for compliance officers is where they may have only had to deal with one regulator. Now they're likely to have to deal with two. And the biggest consequence, of course, is that potentially they can be fined by both. So theoretically, at least, for a data breach, instead of your liability being 4% of global annual revenue, it is theoretically now 8 Well, that really led into the question I wanted to conclude with, and I think you just answered, that you possibly can be fined twice for data protection issues in the United Kingdom and EU. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And and obviously, enforcement can take different forms. We've seen that some of the enforcement activity hasn't yet involved a fine. So one of the most significant cases of last year was the uh, dawn raid or visit or whatever we want to call it to Facebook's HQ in Ireland that led to Facebook uh, postponing the launch of Facebook dating in Europe because of threatened uh, prohibitions being issued by the Irish authorities. And that ended up possibly being the most uh, consequential case in cost terms, even though no fines yet. Why? Because Facebook weren't in the online dating market in the EU when it was akin to the Yukon gold rush in online dating terms as people were at home and turned to online dating instead. And it also meant that their rivals could get some strength. So Bumble's uh, IPO uh, this week just being one example of that. So it weakened Facebook and strengthened the organizations that they were hoping to shoot out of the water. So we oughtn't to be too focused on fines, and we could get to the situation where enforcement action like that, so so non-fine mandatory orders, is replicated by the UK and the EU. Jonathan, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our continued exploration of uh, issues in uh, data privacy uh, and data protection after Brexit next episode, we're going to take up uh, data transfer. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode with Jonathan Armstrong on Life with GDPR. You can reach Jonathan at Cordier Compliance in London. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. 
Check out the show notes for more information on the KBR decision from the Quarterly uh, website and for information on GDPR compliance generally. I hope you will join us again for another episode as Jonathan and I start a three-part series on some early significant uh, enforcement actions and information regarding GDPR. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.